Do you believe it's the Bible that you're holding? Yes. yes. Well, let me ask you another question. Do you believe what's in it? Yes. How? By faith. By faith, we believe everything that is written. Because by faith, you're saved, right? I don't know. Again, I, I'm going to ask you a few questions. You're going to have, probably have you on your toes a little this morning. It's going to be a, not a question and answering, but a, a faith-based message this morning. So if you got your Bible, well, you obviously you do. You just showed them to me. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If, any know, if anybody remembers anything about Hebrews chapter 11, it's a chapter about faith. It's, a, it's called the faith chapter, actually. And why is that? Because it talks a lot about faith. I think the greatest question we can ask ourselves this morning, do I practice my faith? Do I practice what I believe? Because, you know, Without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. All right? So how many of us this morning are God-pleasers? Amen? See, that's, those are some, some things I was wrestling with this week. I went to the pool yesterday where we live, and that's the first time and second time, excuse me, in seven years I went to the pool. It's a great place. Man, it must be a great pool if you want to be there twice in seven years. <laughs> and when I went down there yesterday, I was only there for, what, Virginia, maybe 30 minutes? 45 max? And I had to leave. I couldn't handle what I saw, and I couldn't take what I heard. Isn't it terrible? What happened to our society? What happened to the 1930s bathing suits and... Oh, I'm sorry. Was I going in the wrong direction here? Here we are on, here we are live on the stream. So now they're saying, where is this guy coming from? I said to my son-in-law, I said, I got to leave. I can't handle the, the language anymore. There were some young people there in their mid-20s, and the stuff they were talking about and the language that I heard, I just couldn't take it. I had to go home and wash my ears out. And I still think they still need more cleaning. Maybe I should have used peroxide or something. I don't know. And, and then the way they were dressed. I was telling somebody this morning, I know my daughter's married. She has a wonderful husband. But if I ever saw her dressed like that at a pool, I'd still whip her. <laughs> it just wouldn't matter to me. <laughs> that's, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I was like, no decency. No decency in, in, in our young people today for some reason. I don't know why. But yet there are some young people you meet out in society. You think they are the, you could tell they had great parents. Now I'm not saying these people at the pool didn't have great parents. They may have. They may just strayed away from their, what their parents thought or did. I'm sure my daughter has. You know, she always reminds me that I'm old fashioned. I'm old way of thinking. You know, she, she reminds me of that constantly. But that's okay. See, because I think that as you grow and you mature into a young adult, the Word of God says to what? Put away the childish things. And I think that, it, I, I think that encompasses a lot of areas in our life. Amen? And we have to put away a lot of, of things. 
But when we read in fact, when we read in chapter 11 here, the faith chapter, we see that God marches uh, a great multitude of mighty men and women continually moving in faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Moses, like us, had his struggles. And when you go with me now to chapter or verse uh, 23, and this is how Moses' faith started. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hold up there just for a second. You see, I think that's what's captivated our society today. That's what's captivated a lot of America today. They're, they're captivated by the sin nature. You see, they're th- well, you know, I can do this and then I can ask God to forgive me. There, believe it or not, in, in today's society, that's really a contemplation of a lot of young people in America today. I work with a lot of young people. And they're like, well, oh, yeah, I know, I know it's wrong, you know, but I know God will forgive me. They're, they're, they're jumping ahead. And they're, how does it the old say? They're putting the cart before the horse. And, and we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to put the cart before the horse. When we raise our children, what do we do? We raise them in the fear of the Lord, right? We're, we're raising them to acknowledge that we're not the supreme ones, but God is the supreme one. Where did we get our direction from in raising them? I didn't get a manual when my daughter was born from the hospital and said, do this, this, and this. At this age, you got to do this. At this age, you got to do this. And when she wakes up in the middle of the night with a smelly diaper and it's going to make you sick when you open it up, do this. You know, didn't say put a nose plug on and, and all that stuff. I wasn't prepared for all of that. I remember when she did her first thing and it, it, it scared me. I was like this and I took her from her mother. And I was running down the hospital hall to the, to the nursery so somebody could fix it. And I, as I'm running down the hall with this baby, there's a, like four or five nurses running behind me. Well, sir, hold up, stop. And I'm still going for the nursery. I thought something broke. Fathers get shocked like that. The women, they're prepared for these things. But God didn't prepare man for these things. Her natural order of life was brought into being by God. And by faith as her parents, we're trusting God to help us do the best for her. Amen? That's the way we're supposed to go. That's the way things are supposed to work. Now, let's, let's go back here. In verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, 
he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing, as seeing him who is invisible. Though faith, he kept the Passover. We were just talking about that with this morning, about the Passover. And see, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I pray, Lord God, this morning is you touch each one of our hearts by faith. I'm praying, Lord God, this morning by faith that we will receive your word and that we will keep it in our hearts that we would not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Moses had his, his forms of trouble. But not many of us are called upon to build an ark. Has anybody been called upon to build an ark? Like Noah? How about maybe have you, have you had a spy hit on your roof like Rahab? You see, they had instructions. Church, we have instructions. But the choices that Moses makes are, are real. They're, they're relevant to all of us today. We see what Moses' faith caused him to refuse are the things that we should be examining our own hearts about. The faith of his parents in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months by his parents. His parents weren't afraid. His parents saw that he was a proper child, so they, they hid him so that nothing would happen to him. Moses' parents trusted God for their son's life. They were not merely proud parents. They were believers who had the faith that God would care for him. When you got up this morning, did you get up by faith? Acknowledging that God had created another day for you that he didn't. Or maybe when you went to bed last night, and you closed your eyes and sleep. Did you go to sleep knowing that you were going to get up this morning? You see, we have faith to open our mouth and to take in air. Your body is designed in such a way that it automatically does that. But if there's no air, what happens? The body begins to struggle. Things begin to happen. So God continually provides by faith. He continually provides. But God has a plan for every person. And your important task is to pray and to prepare for what God has for you. All of us have a, a, a plan. All, God has a plan for all of us. And Moses' faith when he comes to years was, the faith, was to be a faithful witness to his mother. When he was come to years, similar to when Peter was come to himself in Acts 12, verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know assuredly that the Lord hath sent an angel. He knew these things. Why? Because he, he recognized who Christ was. 
This decision made him refuse his position. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. How could he know that? As a child, remember, he was put in the reeds. And he was taken out of the reeds in this basket. He was only a few months old. And he was given to Pharaoh's daughter, who would then raise him in the palace. But see, she couldn't raise him because she had never been a mother. So she needed to call upon somebody who could nurture this little child until he became a walker. And so who did they get but Pharaoh's mother? See how God orchestrated that whole thing. That whole thing was orchestrated that, 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 that the Hebrews would have somebody who was going to lead them out from where they were. Because they found themselves in a situation again because they did not follow the will of God. Now we see here that as things begin to transpire, as things begin to happen, we find that we cannot depend on the faith of our parents. What? We can't, we can't depend on the faith of our parents. So you see, we, our faith should be the same as our parents our faith in the Lord. But it seems that each person has a different level of faith. There are some people who have wholehearted faith, who trust in every step that they take. They believe that God is leading them into the, next, the, the right direction, leading them to where they should go, leading them to where God wants them to be. See, I have faith to believe that God's going to provide the next meal. I know that because Virginia started cooking it yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, ooh. And man, right about 6 o'clock, I was getting hungry. It smelled so good. She was making sauce. And it smelled, I just, I was going to go get some bread while she wasn't looking and stick it in there and, and, and sample it. But then she would know because I would have spilled it on myself and then she would have to get out the shout and all that other stuff that she does to get all the stains out. Then she would have known it was in the sauce. Where is your level of faith? Have you ever asked yourself that? Where is my level of faith? Where do I stand in, in retrospect to all the people that I talk to? and to how I'm trying to lead them in the ways of the Lord, leading them to the cross. The decision made him refuse his position. You see, he could have had anything he wanted. He was in the, he was in the king's palace. He could have had anything he desired. But his decision made him refuse the position. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did that do to him? Well, it would remove his rank, his power, his honor, his title, and anything else that he would have been entitled to being related to the king. The things that he refused are the things that people work a lifetime to achieve. Come on, think about that. How many people work a lifetime to receive rewards, to receive power, to re receive a title, to receive honor? People, people strive for that kind of stuff. But we see here Moses had left that chance. He left it all behind. His decision 
would make him refuse the pleasures. There was very little that Moses could have had when he left Egypt because he didn't leave with a good name. Unlike today, when we think about most people, perhaps you've heard the philosophy, live for the moment. How many people live for the moment? Well, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, so I'm going to live for now. So I'm going to do all the things I want to do now. What cracks me up is sometimes I see these people, they have a bucket list of all the things that they want to do before they die. I've yet to make one of those. I don't think I'll ever make one of those because I've done everything I've wanted to do. And if the Lord should come now, I'll be totally happy. He gave me a beautiful wife. He gave me a beautiful daughter. Now I'm ready to go home. Sounds pretty good to me. And that which I have desired, he has given me. And what does he say in his word? He will give you the desires of your heart. I feel so bad for for that World War I veteran that they talked about on TV this week that's 112 years old. I don't want to live 112 years. Now, he lived 112 and he seems to be happy. He seems to be very content. But I don't want to live a... I want, I, want to, I want to go and be in the presence of my Lord. Amen. To worship him. Just to, just to see the, the glowing of his face. Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to check out in the next two minutes. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That should be the desire of, of, the, of the person who is serving the Lord. Our desire is not only to live for him. But our desire is to see him. That's our reward. Amen. That's that's what we're desiring to do. We want to finish the race well so we can be in his presence forever. Be with those who have gone on before us. But as I think about all the things of faith that Moses talks about here in, in the 11th chapter. I think about the decision that caused him to refuse certain treasures. What people live for. But look at what Moses' faith made him choose. You see, now he, he's given up some things, but look at the things he did choose. He chose to identify with a despised people. His people. Who he was born from. The Israelites, the, uh, he had a rightful position with them. But they're now slaves. They're looked down upon. Some do not come to Christ because they don't want to be identified as a Christian. In some parts of the world, if you're identified as a Christian, you're killed. But yet people are killed all the time for what? For serving Christ. For identifying with him. You know, it seems sad to me when I listen to the news from time to time, and I try not to listen to it too often because it can be very negative. It can also pull you down if you, if you, if you ever listen to it a lot. But how many Christians are looked down upon? The churches are emptying out by droves. 
because people are not choosing to live the faith. They're not choosing to live by the word. They're not choosing to follow in the footsteps of Christ. I spoke to a, a gentleman the other day at work. He's probably about the same age as me. And he said, hey, I heard you're a pastor. And I said, yes. He said, are you still waiting? I said, what am I still waiting for what? I thought, I thought there was going to be something good coming. He said, well, you know, I used to go to church too. And I, my pastor used to always preach about the Lord's coming soon. He said, and that was 30 years ago. He said, and I'm still waiting. He said, I, I, you know, I think that's just a, just a way to keep people in check. And I said, well, my faith is much greater than that. I said, because I know he's coming soon. I said, it might not be in my lifetime, but he's coming soon. I said, because the word of God says, it's once appointed a man to die. Then comes judgment. What is it saying? It doesn't matter whether you're alive or dead. You're still going to face judgment one day. It's going to happen. You can't escape it. And he's like, well... You know, we don't know that for a fact. I said, I know it for a fact. He said, you know it for a fact? I said, I know it for a fact because I read it. I read it in the Word of God. I said, do you believe what the Bible says? And he said, well, yeah, of course. I said, well, then you have to believe it because that's what it says. You see, I think our faith, when it comes to our faith as a whole, as a body of Christ, it may feel strange to you when you pick up the Word of God and you start reading things that don't make sense to you. But as you begin to read the whole Word over and over, I think things begin to line up. Things begin to come to your understanding. What is God doing? God is maturing you in your faith. He's getting you to understand what you're reading is actual truth from God's Word. And it helps you to understand. Then you can choose this day whom you will serve. We got people making choices today who have never read the word of God. That's foolish people. You can't, you can't live this way, I don't believe. I think you, you have to know the truth. And you can't know the truth and it's your faith that causes you to choose the way you think. Because I can talk to young people today and I can say to them, I said, how do you know that God's not real? Well, I don't. I said, but you say, some of you, and I've had a couple young people tell me this. They said that uh, they don't believe in God. And I said, well, why? How can you not believe in God? Because I don't believe there is a God. I said, well, if you don't believe in God, then how can you say you don't believe in God? <laughs> what? I'm gonna say, how do you believe that there's not God? You said you don't believe in God. How can you say that? Because you're saying you don't believe in God, so you have to know that there is one to not believe in one. By then, they're all confused. <laughs> they're right where I want them. You ever get those exciting moments in your life? You're like, oh, yes, this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, I have those moments. And it's great. 
I've had a couple young people tell me they're, and you'll have to excuse the expression here, but they have confessed to me that they're, they're going to hell with gasoline drawers. I said, but you know what? I know the man who can put out those flames. Right? Come on. I know a God who can put out those flames. You don't have to have that type of mentality. You don't have to have it. You see, they're indulged in sin. They're indulged in the pleasures of the world. And so, so they think that this is okay, this proper talk. This is not proper talk. I mean, they think it's proper talk. But it's not. They, they have no idea that the things that they're saying are, are really true to fact things. Moses chose the reproach of Christ. He knew. He knew. You realize this text of scripture, Moses was 1,500 years before Christ. But yet he knew. How could he know? It was his faith that caused him to know. It was the upbringing of his parents who caused him to know. Do you think that this mother, as she's coddling this little child in Pharaoh's palace, you don't think she wasn't implanting the word of God into the heart of this young child? She was doing this all along. She was, she was by faith putting into this child that when this child would have to make a decision, it would be the right decision. You see, when our child came to the Lord, when she asked to receive Jesus Christ into her heart, it was her timing. God put that timing in her heart. Why? Because her mother would constantly be reading the word of God to her. When? When she was in the womb. She would read to her. She would talk to her. She would sing to her. So naturally when she was born, these things began to develop in her. You see, all of us didn't start with the same level playing field. I don't know about you, but I was not born into a Christian home. So it wasn't for several years before I started knowing about God. I can remember in 1972 when the Methodist bus came by our house and some friends of ours got on the bus. My mom said, why don't you go with them? I think she needed a day off. Come on, my mom had six children. She was raising all by herself. Mom needed a day off. And so when that Methodist bus pulled around, you can bet your bottom dollar all of her children were on the bus. And they were going off to church. And I'm sure she was... <sighs> God gave her a reprieve. And I remember those days. I remember the old Methodist Sunday school teacher. I remember when we tried to cut up. 
and she'd lean over and look at us. And she had these round glasses, these big round glasses. They were black. I'll remember them to this day, black frame glasses. And she'd look over at us and she'd say, do you think Jesus is pleased? That scared the life out of me. Because now I'm picturing Jesus upstairs, this big massive eye looking at me with a club, waiting for me to step out of line. And we would always say, we're sorry, we're sorry. We didn't mean it. And she'd say, that's okay, he forgives you. Because I'm sure in the back of my mind, like school, I thought by faith, this teacher was going to send a note to my mom about how we conducted ourselves in our Sunday school class, just like the teacher would send notes home from school about how we would conduct ourselves in their class. Teachers back in the day knew how to take care of children. Miss Bricker, my second grade teacher, was teaching us how to write cursive. And she said, by the middle of the year, all of you will know how to write cursive and write cursive well where I can read it. And she said, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to start by writing your name and a sentence every morning. And at the end of the week, if I can't read your name and your sentence, you'll get a pop on the top of your hand. And she had two little rulers taped together. And I remember the first weekend when I got my knuckles hit for the first time because she couldn't read my name or the sentence. I'm telling you, church, by the end of the second week, you could read my name and the sentence better than anybody in the class. I was not going through that. And some of those guys, I think they enjoyed it. I mean, they got popped every week. I, it only took once. See, I'm, I wasn't a slow learner. It only took once to, to get the... When I came to Christ, by faith, it only took once. You see, because the word of God has a way of, of gripping our heart. It has a way of stirring us, getting us to understand, to believe the reality of who Jesus Christ is. He's not just, as I said last week, as some people describe him, the man upstairs. You see, Jesus is my Savior. And when I came to faith in Christ, I couldn't read the word of God enough. I wanted to know who he was, why he was, and when he was. And I wanted to know everything about him. Why? So that I could walk the way he walked. I know I still have people today calling me a spiritual nut. You, you, you're just too radical on the word. You need to loosen up a little. I've had many pastor friends tell me, you know, if you, if you didn't just stick to the scriptures wholeheartedly, 
and, and you would soften things up a little, you could have a, a mega church. And I've told them over and over, I guess I'll have a small church the rest of my life. Because I can't give people what's not in the Word of God. You can't give people what's not in the Word of God. You can only give them what's here. This is all Christ has given us to give. We have many questions. I don't know. Let me, I'm going to put you on the spot now this morning. How many have questions about the Word of God this morning? Okay, come on. I do too. And I, but it always takes me back to that one scripture where, where I'm reminded we only know in part. I don't think God, I think God understood why he put that there. Because I don't think we could un, understand. I don't think we could handle if we knew all. You see, when we look at what Moses' faith made him see, we can understand where we are. You see, he saw a reward beyond this life. We're taught in the Word of God that when we leave this life, there is one that's just beginning, eternal life. A life that's going to be forever, long-lasting. We had this discussion in our home, too. I told Sharon, she says she's going to get married. I said, when you get to heaven. She said, no, there's no giving and taking of marriage in heaven. I said, but if you meet him there, he'll be perfect. <laughs> there won't be anything wrong with him. I know there are many wives across America today that said, if I would have only known. I think my wife sometimes would say, if I only knew. He had respect to the recompense of the reward. What shall it profit a man that he gained the whole world and loses his only soul? His, his soul. You only have one soul. But if you lose it, what do you have? How right he was when, when he talked about Egypt would lie in ruins. But whose name exists? Whose name do we talk about? Moses. We don't talk about the ruins of, of Egypt. We talk about Moses. He saw the Lord in verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endures as seeing him who is invisible. Seeing him who is invisible. He understood by faith there was somebody he wanted to serve. You see, Moses is going to need that presence in the future. You see, because he leaves Egypt and he goes back. He goes back what? To face Pharaoh. To for what purpose? To free the Egyptians, to, to free the, the people that he had left. And he was going back knowing because God had told him what he was going to do. God told him how he was going to set the, the children of Israel free. And so when he goes back, he has to, he has to go through ten plagues to get Pharaoh to understand. 
How many times has God had to talk to us to get us to understand? How many plagues have you gone through for God to get you to understand? Now, I'm not saying you, you had to deal with the grasshoppers. I'm not saying you had to drill, deal with the, your blood and your water and, and all these other things. But how many things has God had to do in your life to get your attention? When I, I don't know, Pharaoh must have been stuck on something. Because ten plagues. I think after the first one, I would have got it. And he did get it because he said, I'll let your people go. And then he, he, his heart was hardened again. The next plague comes. I'll let him go. No, his heart is hardened again. So they go to the third one. And it just keeps going over and over. Sometimes God will have to do the drastic things in your life to get your attention. What did he do to Pharaoh? When he didn't put the blood over the doorpost, he lost his firstborn son. Sometimes God has to do the drastic to get our attention. I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying it's pleasant. Why can't we just conform to what God wants us to do? How much easier could life be if we would just conform to what he wants us to do? Well, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? I read this prayer last week that I wrote. I'm going to read it again to you. What does God want me to do? What is, what is his will for my life? You saw me before I was born. The psalmist writes in chapter 13. The psalmist wrote, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before. I was even born. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, you should pray this prayer. Lord, you know me completely before I was born, you shaped me and you destined me for a purpose. Give me a clear vision of all you want to do and through my life. I desperately need to understand what the hope of my calling is. How many pray that? God, show me what your calling is for my life. God, are you showing me what direction I need to go? Show me the gifts you have put in me and that how I can develop and use them for your glory. As we're told in Romans 12, 6, help me to think big and to pray with boldness as told to us in Ephesians 3, 20. I want to open, I want to be open and available for whatever you have for me and not miss your blessing by being unprepared to receive them. How many of us pray a bold prayer such as that? Do you get up in the morning and say, God, I want to be used of you in every way possible. You lead me. You direct me. You guide me. You speak through me. 
Help me to hold on to the things or relationships. Or should say, help me not to hold on to the things and relationships that are not of you. I want to do your will with my whole heart. As the psalmist tells us in Psalms 40 and verse 8. Only you know. And who and, and what and who is right for me. He, he orchestrates your friendships, your relationships with people. God orchestrates all of that. Help me to hear your voice and give me the grace and the courage to follow your leading even when I'm afraid. You see, God wants to use us. He wants to direct us. Church, may the desires of your heart become the desires of the heart, of his heart. Allow him to enlarge your capacities to believe that you can take what he has given you and multiply it beyond what you can imagine. This is what God can do. And we have to allow him to do it. We have to give him the space to do it. And we can only do it by faith. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning that you gave Moses the faith. Even when he came to years, he had the faith to refuse and to choose that what you have laid out for him. Father, I pray this morning, give us the faith to refuse and to choose the things that you have for us. Lord, help our hearts to be open and our minds to be expanded upon all that you have for us. That we would know that you, Lord God, have taken full control of our hearts and our minds and our actions. Lord, help us to become the people of God that you have called us to be. Let us put our faith in you, our trust in you. And Father, may you move us May we be persuaded by your words and not those of the world. Lord, for we trust in you and our faith is in you. Lord, help us to have that bold faith to speak your truth to a world that's lost, dying, and hurting. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.